Praise God. Let's open our Bible and go to Hebrews chapter number five. Excuse me. Hebrews chapter number four. Hebrews chapter number four. And briefly in teaching on prayer, we want to talk about grace and mercy through prayer. Hebrews chapter four, towards the end of your New Testament, verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. And here's our text. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find help or grace to help in a time of need. Praise the name of the Lord. Come on, sing this prayer with me. Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary, pure and holy, tried and true, and with thanksgiving, I'll be a living sanctuary for you. Amen, amen. Well, anybody that's taken the time to read the epistle to the Hebrews knows that there is a lot of typology in this book. Different characters are used as figures or types of Jesus Christ and his ministry. When we look here at this particular chapter, we have had scriptures that deal with David up here in verse number seven. We have had a verse that deals with Joshua in verse number eight, because Jesus and the name Joshua are essentially the same name. But we learn in verse 12 that the word of God has ability and power. That the word of God essentially is what works inside of your heart and my heart. And it's what turns the light on the dark places in your heart. I think the scripture says the heart is deceitful above all things. Who can know it? There's some things about ourselves we don't know. And until the light of God's word is cast upon different areas of our lives, we don't even know what displeases God. But when God's word is proclaimed and people sit and hear the teaching of God's word, very often people hear it in different ways. Five people can listen to the same sermon and that sermon will affect those five people in different ways because everybody is at a different position in their growth in grace. One person may hear it and be tremendously encouraged by what God is saying and have a smile on their face. Somebody else listens to that same message and maybe there's a, a bit of conviction that comes upon their life. Someone else listens to the same message and may be indifferent to it all and may not even care. 
But one thing I do know is that the heart should be receptive to receive from God whatever seed it is that God is trying to sow inside of the believer's heart. So Paul tells us then, we have a high priest who has ascended into the heavens in verse 14, and he describes him as the son of God and says we should hold fast our profession. If you proclaim to be a Christian, you should say it wherever you go. And you should not be intimidated by anybody. Don't let an atheist intimidate you. Don't let an agnostic person intimidate you. If you work in an environment where people like to mock Christian values or mock Jesus Christ, don't be intimidated at all. Paul says, hold fast your profession of faith. That means retain it. Keep a strong, firm grip on it. And don't allow somebody to put a muzzle on your mouth when you're wanting to give praises to God. When you think of what God has done for you in your life and how he's brought you through many different things, there's no reason you shouldn't praise God. Many of you in here, I know your story. Some of you in here, I've known you for ever since I've got, I've come to this place. So that means that I, I've seen where God has been able to bring growth and God has been able to bring prosperity and God's been able to change and transform lives. And knowing that, knowing where you once were, understanding where you presently are, you should have a profession of faith that is very strong. No one should be able to come into your life and tell you that you shouldn't give God the glory because there is no God. So the writer goes on and he says that our high priest is someone who can identify with us because he knows himself what it is to be tempted. Now, all of us in here are tempted every day. We may not all respond to temptation in the same way. Some of us are tempted by the same things. Some of us by different things, but you're not tempted by anything that Jesus Christ himself did not have to deal with when he was here in the flesh. What makes him different from us is that all of us are born in sin and shaped in iniquity, as David says. Every baby that comes into this world comes into this world with a law of sin, a sin nature. It's that nature of sin that makes us capable of yielding to sin. In fact, if, if you're not capable of yielding to sin, then you cannot be tempted. And this is one of the primary differences between us and our Lord Jesus Christ. He was not able to sin. But we are more than able to sin and we sin quite often. But the scripture says we have a savior who having lived in this world with a body like ours, knowing what it is to become tired when he leaned on Jacob's well, knowing what it is to become angry as he did in Mark chapter three, knowing what it is to be happy as he rejoiced when the disciples knew that they had power to cast out devils, knowing what it is to shed tears as he did when he wept over Jerusalem, knowing what it is to be hungry and thirsty as he was on the cross when they brought that sponge of vinegar and he turned it aside. He lived in a body just like ours and he dealt with the same kinds of temptations that we deal with, and he still declined to submit to the power of sin. Now think of this. 
In ancient times, they had substances that could get people drunk and substances that could get people high just like they do today. But Jesus made the determination that he would allow nothing and no one to be his master but God. You should be the same way. Submit your heart to the truths of God's word and know that when you pray to him, that he also escaped the clutches of iniquity. So you're not facing anything he didn't have to deal with. I'm sure with the power that he had on planet Earth, there were all kinds of ladies that would have loved to spend time privately with Jesus in intimate moments. But he didn't yield to that. He didn't get involved with that. There were times with all the money that people were given to support him in his traveling ministry, he probably could have gotten involved with taking an excess of funds. He didn't do it. He had wealthy people supporting him. Luke chapter 8 speaks of the women in the first couple of verses that were giving their resources to help supply his ministry needs as he traveled with his disciples. So when temptation comes, because he didn't fail, this is why when we go to him, we can ask him to give us strength to resist in the midst of temptation. None of us are perfect. You don't have enough self-will, self-power, and self-determination to get yourself free from any kind of addiction or any kind of problem that you have. What you have to do is find time to go to the throne of God where there you can find grace and mercy in a time of need. You say, Pastor, when is my time of need? Whenever you're in need. And the beautiful thing about it is it never runs out. God's grace doesn't run out at all. On the basis of that knowledge, he says in verse 16, let us come boldly to the throne of grace. Now that's uncommon in most societies where they have a king and a queen. So places like Denmark and over in England, where they still have a monarchy, no one is just going to go bounding into the king or queen's presence and demand an audience with the king or queen. And they certainly are not going to go in there making any demands that they think are going to be heard. However, because of the blood of Jesus Christ and because of the fact that God has washed us washed us in his blood, forgiven all of our sins, we now have access to God. That access means that when we pray in accordance with his will, we can believe that our petitions are not only heard, but will be answered. And This is why in verse 16 he says, you can come boldly to the throne of grace. Now, people don't think of a throne as a place where grace is dispensed. Very often when they think of a throne, they think of judgment. They think of justice. But think of mercy. Think of how many times in your Christian life you failed God. And think of how many times before you became Christians you failed people. And how much forgiveness and how much grace and how much mercy you were in need of. You know how many people there are in this world today that have just about burned every bridge you could possibly burn with family members, but yet there's still somebody that loves them? You ever considered how many employees there are that should have been fired a long time ago, but yet they're still there because there's some boss or someone showing grace to them? 
And there are other people saying, well, I don't even know why you're holding on to her. She's never been faithful, never gets here on time. Every time you look up, she's claiming or blaming her kids for this reason or that reason they can't get here. But yet so and so you cut them loose and let them go. And over and over we see these kind of tendency in the, in the habits of people and we forget sometimes that the same grace that has been shown to us, we, we should show to other people. Remember the story of the parable of the man when that ruler was settling all of his accounts? A gentleman was called before the ruler and the ruler said, look, you owe me some money, give it to me. He said, you owe me about $1,000. I want you to give it all to me right now. He said, look, I don't have it, but if you just give me a little bit of time, I'll pay you all of it. The man said, okay, you can, you can go out there and you can work on it. So that same man went out there and he found somebody that owed him $20. And when he found that man, that man fell down on his feet and said, oh, have mercy on me. I don't have the money, but I want to pay you. And that man who was just forgiven by the other ruler grabbed him by the throat and said, you pay me everything or I'll put you in jail. Strangling the man saying he won his money. And Jesus was trying to teach us a very simple story. And, and, and the principle is this. If you who have been forgiven so much, why is it you have a hard time forgiving other people of so little? If you've had to use so much of the blood of Jesus Christ in order to have a relationship with God, why then do you turn around and not want to allow that same blood to cleanse them? This is how we come boldly to the throne of grace. Father, I'm here because I'm in need. I failed you again. Father, I'm praying because I'm needing grace to help and I'm in need of strength. I've been wrestling with this. I've been dealing with this. I have been battling with this for a very long time. I know how upsetting it is to you. It's a disappointment to me. It is bringing sadness upon my family. God, I need grace to help me. Now look, the scripture says you have not because you ask not. If you don't take the time to ask, how are you going to get the things that you want? I realize that God knows what you have need of before you ask, but he still wants you to ask. In the same way that parents, like their kids, when they were younger, to ask for help. I really believe there are a lot of people in this world that would do a whole lot better if they just stopped being so stubborn. And just learn to ask. Yeah. If you just look at how some people live, if they would examine their lives and realize I am making problems here, I am making problems there, I am making problems here. If they would simply sit down with someone and say, look, I have made a mess of my life for this last little bit of time. Can I please have some grace and could you please help me to fix some of these things? There are a whole lot of people whose lives would turn around just like that. But the adversary comes in with stubbornness and this is why some people refuse to pray. They've come to the conclusion that A, there is no God and if there is a God, he's not interested in me and my problems. Or B, they'll come to the conclusion that I don't know what to say if I'm going to talk to God anyhow. I don't know how to pray. Well, what does a what does a, a, a animal do when an animal is wandering through the wilderness and gets its hoof or leg caught in a snare? It cries out. 
for help. And mama or somebody else comes over there and is sniffing around the snare and realizes that there's not too much that they can do to get the person out of there or to get the animal out of there. Well, I can promise you, when you get into a jam, one of the most anointed words in the English language is this one word here. Help! You cry out to God. Whosoever call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So when you cry out to God, you should have every confidence and expectation that he who sits high above hears what you're praying far below and he's going to reach out there and grab you. Now, he's not going to do to you what probably I would do and some parents would do. Now, some people get caught in their 31st snare and then, you know, we'll get get right there where they are and see them in pain and we'll say, now, now. Have you learned anything? I mean, how long do we want to do this? I mean, I can get you out of this. And once I get you out of this, what, what I want to know is, are you going to wander around and get in another trap? See, the good thing about God is that he sees us stumble around from one trap to another. He sees us trip over one stumbling block or obstacle after another. But because his love for us is so great and because of his covenant with us through his son, he reaches down there, grabs us, heals us, binds up our wounds, and then says, go ahead, boy, I love you. Try it all over again. And then the next time I fall, you know what he does? He does it all over again. Does it over again. This is why I think it is so much nicer to have God on the throne than grandpa or your dad or your brother or your first cousin. See, because God is the kind of a person who is able to dispense as much grace as is needed. And he can do it to multiple people simultaneously. Now, I, I've been I, I've been at home before and the phone will ring and then I answered and somebody will call and I say, hold on, let me click over. Then somebody else is on the phone. Then I finish that. Then somebody else calls. Then somebody else calls. And then after a while, all I want to do is take the phone off the hook and look at it because there's just too many people calling. And there have been times when I've been somewhere with Tiff or traveling or something, then, then I, I see somebody, they text me, then I text them back, then before I even get the text sent, they got two more coming to me. And, and then somebody else gets involved. Before you know it, there are eight or nine people texting me, and I'm just looking at that. And sometimes you just want to turn the thing off and just throw it out the window as you're driving down the road. But God can handle as many prayers that come to him. Folks in your family, from people in America, from people overseas, millions of people are calling on God every single day at every single moment. And God hears every prayer and he wants to answer every prayer. Now, we have an obligation. Our obligation is to study the word to at least have some understanding of what is God's will. Because if you're not sure that God wants to answer your prayer or wants to give you what you're praying about, then you won't pray confidently. Now, let, let me ask this question. When you were a child and you were growing up, I'm going to assume that you early on realized which of the parents 
was the easiest to go to about certain subjects. So that if you needed some money, you knew to go to mom and you knew to avoid dad. But if you were going to go out with some friends and wanted to be out a little later than usual, you knew to go to the other. Now, see, that's how it was in our family. We kind of knew who to go to. So my little sister, she owned my father's heart. So that means it didn't matter what she wanted. She just come bat them big eyes in his face and sit down on his lap. And daddy, I just love you as she rubs his beard. And then it didn't matter what she wanted. Kimberly could get anything she wanted. I come along and I try to sit down on daddy's lap and he shoved me. What kind of man do you think I am? <laughs> but there's a difference. I knew who to go to. See, I, I, knew, I knew who to go to for different things. But when it comes to God, though, folks, God's not like that. He's sitting there waiting on everybody. He's waiting on anybody to come and fellowship with him and spend a little bit of time in his presence. And he's really excited if you already know his will, his wishes, his desires. Since you knew what your mother or father would say beforehand, you already knew their will. Since you had an understanding of what they believed, you already knew in advance. And I can ask you to this day, when it comes to your mother and father, what did they believe about this? And you probably could tell me instantly. This is what they believed about the Bible. This is what they believed about marriage. This is what they believed about church. This is what they believed about the Lord's day. If you know that the scripture teaches that God is not willing for any to perish, but that all come to repentance, then you know that God wants your family members saved just like the folks in the Bible. And you should spend time praying for your family members to be saved and never allow anybody to discourage you by saying, well, I prayed for my grandkids and they never changed. Well, your grandkids are not the standard. The Bible is the standard and we're going to use the Bible as our standard. If you're praying for somebody to be made whole, scripture says Jesus Christ, he bore our sicknesses and sins on his body. Matthew chapter 15, he was healing the people in fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 53. So it is God's desire for us to pray for people to be made whole. James chapter 5, if there's any sick among you, let them call for the elders of the church. They'll anoint them with oil, pray the prayer of faith. And if they've committed any sins, they'll be forgiven. If someone is asking you about provision in your life, always believe that God wants you to have your needs supplied. Even, even John the Baptist told the Pharisees and them, look, you're coming out here listening to me. He said, look, this is what you do. If you've got two coats, give one of them away. You can't give two coats away unless you have one that you can wear and one that you can give to somebody else. So God's plan for your life is not just for you to have just enough for yourself, but enough for you to bless someone else. So pray and ask God to give you more than you have presently. God doesn't have a problem with, with riches and wealth. Doesn't have a problem at all. The people that have a problem with it are people like you and me. Because most of us, if we're not faithful when we're poor, we're not going to be faithful when we're rich. And we're not even going to be faithful on our way in between. 
The scripture says, be a good steward over those things that God gives to you. And the word poor and the word rich are relative to where someone lives. Someone who makes $50,000 a year can live fairly comfortably out here. Somebody who makes $50,000 a year is going to starve to death in D.C. and California. There's no doubt about it at all. Someone who is paying $300 rent out here is going to be able to survive and subsist. But you're not going to go to Ohio and you're not going to go to Florida and find any place where you're going to pay $300 rent per month unless you're going to be living in the trunk of somebody's car. So when we talk about poverty and wealth and poor and riches in, in, in connection with how we're praying for one another, remember that this is all relative to how we live. What kind of a steward are you over what God has given to you? Now, poor people are people I've met overseas. Most of the people that I meet in America who believe they're poor, they're not poor at all. They'll say they're poor and they'll have two dogs and they'll have cable television and they'll have the dish network. Somebody's usually they have a car and every one of them usually has a phone that's been more expensive than the one I've had for the past 20 years. And some of them will have two of them. And then they'll say, oh, my goodness, I'm so poor. I don't know what I'm going to do with myself. I know what you're going to do with yourself. You're going to go right out there and start texting again. That's what you're going to do. As poor as you say you are. So when we pray, believe that God is going to answer your prayer for yourselves and for your family members. And sometimes God will help you to become the answer to somebody's prayer. You may be on your knees praying and say, God, you know, so and so is passing through a very difficult time. They don't have any groceries right now and needing some help because you touch somebody's heart. And then God may very well say, OK. I'm touching yours and you can head right on over there to the local grocery store to Walmart, get them a certificate and God may very well do that to you. Or you may pray for someone that they might have a vehicle or a car and God may very well touch your heart and you be the one that gets involved with that. All I'm saying to you is prayer is a very big thing. But when you begin to talk to God, you have to be willing and ready for God to also talk to you. I think in the first five years we were married, we gave away three vehicles and didn't owe anything on any of them. But we gave the vehicles to people that were desperately in need of some kind of an automobile to get here and get there. And when we prayed about it, we never prayed with the idea that it wasn't God's will. We knew it was God's will. Because when we became the answer to somebody's prayer, then it's, that's when we learned that somebody else had been at that same throne asking God for grace and mercy. And when you do that, you'll find that God is a God that answers prayer and ministers to a lot of people. So for the next few moments, as we take time to pray, pray for our nation, pray for our leaders and their families. Pray for the governors of the different states. Spend time alone just communing with God out of your own heart. Let God talk to you. Ask God, Lord, am I doing what you want me to do? Am I on the path that I'm supposed to be on? How are you trying to direct my steps? And when you're, when you're talking to God, give God an opportunity to talk back to you. Prayer isn't just making a whole lot of noise. 
Sometimes it's sitting in the presence of God and just listening to what God has to say to you. And you'll find God knows how to lay a burden on your heart. God knows how to put an impression on your heart. He knows how to lead you in a different direction. He's big enough to tug on those heartstrings of yours and turn you around if he needs you to turn around to get you going where you need to go. And the blessing of God will be upon you in 2020 in a greater measure than it was in 2019. Amen.